Yes, Jesus really did say, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So how are we to understand this? That this word, hate, meaning to detest, loathe, or abhor, if we take what Jesus says literally, then the ride home from Mass today should be interesting as you're with your family. So you can maybe begin with some small insults, escalates to some, you know, some really offensive things, and maybe end up in a fist fight, right? So what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's using a figure of speech called hyperbole, and we use it all the time. For example, I might say, uh, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, or um, I've told you a million times, or it's as hot as hell, right? These are, these are hyperbole. I know it's, it's not as hot as hell, right? Nor have I told you a million times. So th these are, it's, it's hyperbole. Now, this particular form of hyperbole was something that uh, Jewish rabbis would use in comparing things and uh, wanting to say that you should love the second thing so much more than the first thing. So they would say, um, a way of saying that using hyperbole would be to hate the first thing and love the second thing. So what it meant is you are to love the second thing so much more than the first thing, okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. We are to love him so much more than our families and even our own life, which, even understood correctly, is still something shocking to say. In the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments relate directly to our duty to God. And then right after that, we are told to honor our father and mother. So Jesus is putting himself above father and mother. In fact, he's putting himself on the same level as God. Now, if Jesus is only a rabbi, this would make him a blasphemer. But he's not only a rabbi. He is indeed the eternal son of God. And he is saying this now to a great crowd, it says, is following him. He's saying this so that they understand what it really means to follow him. This great crowd, many of them have come to him because, why? Because, well, he performed miracles. He was healing people. Uh, he was a, a, wise, a wise teacher, and many of them thought he would become, he would be the Messiah, which they expected to be, a king who would defeat the Romans and usher in an era of peace and prosperity. And that they, got, they would just get to kind of enjoy the benefits of it. So Jesus has to explain to them what it really means to follow him, that there is a cost of discipleship. He uh, tells them that they have to take up their cross. And they knew well what that meant. The Romans crucified rebels, anyone who opposed their rule, and it was an extremely painful and humiliating death. So he uses these two, uh, he has these two parables, these two metaphors. He says, uh, he talks about building a tower. You know, if you're going to build a tower, you make sure that you have the, the sufficient resources to complete it. Because then if you start building it and you don't, and it's left half finished, you're embarrassed. Everyone's going to laugh at you. Similarly, if you're a king and you're going to go to war, you want to conquer your enemy, um, but you don't bring enough troops, you're going to end up being embarrassed and having to sue for peace. So what is he saying here? He's saying to be a disciple requires an all-in commitment. What are the sufficient resources to build a tower or to defeat the enemy? It's our whole selves. 
by giving our whole selves to God in Christ. Uh, it's a good exchange, though. We get God's infinite resources back in return. The Lutheran pastor, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was killed by the Nazis. He opposed the Nazi regime and, during World War II, and he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he contrasted what he called cheap grace with costly grace. He felt that too many people in the Christian West had embraced this idea of cheap grace. He described it as preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, communion without confession, grace without the cross. He said, costly grace confronts us with a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. But it is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and to follow him. And so I think all of us have to make a decision. Many of you are baptized as infants, as Catholics, and maybe you've made a decision, maybe you haven't, to truly be a disciple of Jesus. He didn't hide the terms in fine print like they do when they sell you things. He puts it right out there. Are you willing to give up anything that conflicts with faithfulness to Christ? Are you willing to give up material comfort when Christ calls you to be generous with the poor? Are you willing to give up instant gratification when Christ calls you to master your passions? Are you willing, if need be, to lose a job or social status when the values of the gospel are repugnant to the powers that be? So there are the things that Jesus describes, our family relationships, our own lives, certainly are good things, gifts from God, we should love them, but in the right order. Never above God. When we do something, when we put something ahead of God, it's an idol. So, let's look at what some of these idols are. One is the idol of romantic love. People can, um, can uh, they almost see romantic love, be falling in love as almost kind of a religious experience, and, and, and that, that is, can come ahead of other things. You know, someone can be, have been married for 20 years, have children, but then they fall in love with somebody else and they justify then abandoning their wife or their husband and their children uh, in the name of this love. And, um, and so that, of course, would be wrong. But also, too, people who are single who, who fornicate. And they, they, they justify it by, by love. They, for this person, they, 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 they want to express their closeness, their affection, um, but in doing so, they are not loving Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you are single, you should, you should date the right way. If you feel called to marriage, a way that helps you discern marriage. And this is also, too, where we have to put Christ first. So you should have, very early on in the process, you should assess whether a prospective spouse is themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ if they love him. It's much easier to follow Jesus if the person you're yoking yourself to is walking in the same direction. Now, I'm not saying some of, some of you here aren't even Catholic, you're married to a Catholic, and you come to Mass, and that's great. Sometimes mixed marriages work, but oftentimes they can lead, uh, it can lead to a real tension, a real sense of divided loyalties. Sometimes we can idolize our parents, which in some ways is very natural because, you know, when we're little, our parents are like God. Right? 
they give, they're the ones who give us everything. They, food and shelter, hugs, and, and they protect us and they teach us, you know. Of course, we are to honor them, but we are not to make gods of them. Because sometimes they will want things for us or want us to do things which are different than what God wants us to do. This is what happened to Francis of Assisi. He had this conversion experience. His father was a wealthy merchant. And uh, Francis, part of his conversion experience, he heard Jesus say to him to rebuild my church. And so he began to use some of the family money to rebuild this chapel. When his father found out, his father was furious. And so Francis had to make a choice. He chose God over his father. He did it in a very public way. In the middle of the town square, he stripped off his clothes, which belonged, you know, were bought with his father's money. Here you go. Now, I, I hope he had underwear on. I'm not, I never read the story. It says he stripped his clothes, you know. And then he said, he said, Pietro Bernardoni is no longer my father. From now on, I can say with complete freedom, our father who art in heaven. Parents can make idols of their children. There's a wonderful book written by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. It's not about a broken, it's not about a broken marriage. It's a, about actually uh, life after death and heaven and hell. And it's a, it's a fanciful, imaginative story in which there are souls in hell that take a bus ride uh, up, to the, up to the entrance of heaven. And the souls in hell are given an opportunity to enter heaven. But each of them has something particular, you might say a psychology of hell, a psychological disorder of hell that they have to, they have to change their mind and heart on in order for them to enter into heaven. So one of these, uh, one of the called ghosts in the book, one of these is uh, someone named Pam, a woman. And as she you know, gets out of the bus, and there are, there are spirit guides there, she demands to see her son Michael, Michael had died when he was a boy. Okay? And, of course, a mother will mourn the loss of her son, but, but Pam took it too far. She resented God her whole life for having taken Michael from her. She made her grief was so prolonged and so complete, she made life for her husband and her children miserable. Okay? And so the spirit guys is explaining to her, look, God loves Michael. Michael's alive with God now. You have to understand that Michael belongs to God before he belongs to you. And you have to learn to accept God's decision. The spirit guide later explains, every natural love will rise again and live forever in this country, but none will rise again until it has been buried. So all of these good natural loves they need to be purified, and they need to be ordered by the love of God. This is a wisdom beyond human reasoning. Our first reading asks, Whoever knew your counsel, God, except you had given wisdom and sent your Holy Spirit from on high? And thus were the paths of those on earth made straight. Indeed, that's what following Jesus does. It truly makes us walk on the straight path. He will set straight our natural loves. He will help us to build a magnificent tower to defeat the armies of the enemy. So Jesus asks us, again, to love him so much more than even our own lives, not to mention our family. But he deserves it. 
He deserves it because he's God. So as God, everything we have came from him anyways. And God is ultimately good. So we should love that which is ultimately good. But in addition, we should love Jesus because he gave up everything for us. And the only appropriate response to that is to put him first.